0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome to Bible with the Barbers here on a Tuesday afternoon, the 26th day of November. And this week is Thanksgiving on Thursday, correct? That's
2: right, we're in Thanksgiving. So we want to have an attitude of gratitude, which is welcome just about everywhere. That's right. Mary, I teased everybody on the previous show with Terry and Jesse about uh, the, one of the questions people ask, and we're going to get to it today, about liturgy and the Bible there you go. And you know, I know Dr. Hahn, Dr. Petrie, Dr. Barber, they've all had conferences on this. So yes. it's interesting that we have a question on that topic of liturgy and the Bible. But before we do that, we always like to read the good news of Jesus
1: Christ's gospel from the daily readings of the Mass. And that that gospel today is from Luke 21, 5 good. through 11. End of times. <laughs> and that's it. You know, we're, Christ the, we celebrated the Feast of Christ the King on Sunday. Yeah. This is the last week of the liturgical year in the Catholic uh-huh. Church. So essentially, this coming Sunday is New Year's Day liturgically. Yes, it's the beginning of the new liturgical year. Happy new Year on Sunday. That's right, because everything in our life should focus and and, sur- and center around Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the center of our life. And so we live our life according to the liturgical celebrations of his life. Mm-hmm. And the, the what, what started it all was his coming as man. So Advent is the beginning of the new year for us as Christians. So we begin a new liturgical year every Advent. So we're at the end. And so at the end of the year, we're reminded of the end times, mm-hmm. death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Amen. So yeah, this earth as we know it is passing away, it will come to an end. And that ties in with today's reading. While some people were speaking about how the temple was adorned with costly stones and votive offerings, Jesus said, All that you see here, the days will come when there will not be left a stone upon another stone that will not be thrown down. Then they asked him, Teacher, when will this happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to happen, he answered, See that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is come. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for such things must happen first, but it will not immediately be the end. Then he said to them, Nations will rise against nations, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be powerful earthquakes, famines, and plagues from place to place, and awesome sights and many signs will come from the sky. The gospel of the Lord.
2: Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
1: So Jesus warns them. And it's interesting, scholars nowadays like to say, well, you know, Jesus didn't foretell the future, and the Gospels were written very late in the first century, and actually uh, the whole generation had died out, and there were no eyewitnesses writing the Gospels. And what's interesting is from the text itself, you notice that Jesus says, there will not be a stone, the days will come. He's talking in the future tense. If this Gospel had been written after the fall of Jerusalem it wouldn't be jesus wouldn't be speaking in the future tense the evangelists aren't putting words in his mouth he's warning them he's warning them and it struck me as father was reading this gospel this morning jesus they're looking at the temple and and the monsignor gave us a beautiful explanation yeah. you know that the temple was built under solomon right. um, it was first destroyed when the babylonians came and took the israelites into captivity they were in captivity for 70 years in babylonia mm-hmm. and then they returned and they rebuilt the temple, mm-hmm. and then again, there were the temple was desecrated under the Greeks, but Herod the Great, as my said, Herod wasn't great because of his moral life or his the way he lived, but he built many many temples, and and he was huge rocks for of the temple. huge. He was he had this desire to build things mm-hmm. monuments mm-hmm. and basically monuments to himself that everybody would remember. He built pagan temples too. Mm-hmm. So the temple in Jerusalem, when Jesus was looking at this temple, it had been under construction for 40 years. And it wasn't finished yet for another 30 years. So they finished it about 30 years after Jesus died, only for it to be raised to the ground, totally destroyed. He
2: prophesied that.
1: And this is what he's prophesying. But what is his point to us? If we're standing there, what is he saying to us? All these material things belong to me anyways. I'm God. I made everything. I don't want your material things. I want you. Mm -hmm. I want your heart. I want you to be my temple. Amen. He wants our bodies to be temples of his dwelling place. Now, in the historical context of what's happening here, Jesus is warning them. you know what? Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And he wept over Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You know, you kill the prophets and slay those I send to you. If only you had recognized your time of visitation. But now you haven't. And since you haven't, you're going to be destroyed. And that's it. Does God have to say that to us? Are we missing our time of visitation? The Lord is with us. He, he's come. He remains in the Eucharist. Are we spending time with him or are we living like we have a finality in this world?
2: And that's the bottom line, which you just said that, that their temple is going to fall apart. Well, guess what? Nothing will be standing at the end of time. Exactly. So we might as well embrace our Lord now, because you know, at at if after your death it's too late. And I I say that because you mentioned the four last things about right. death, judgment. We just have to realize that we need to be living in union with God, and that's where our true happiness will lie.
1: Exactly. And and wars and rumors of wars and you know. All kinds of troubles are going to come in the church, outside the church, from within the church, from, you know, we're all sinners, honey. We're all sinners. We're all in this together. None of us gets out of life. You know, if God were to come down today and wipe out all the bad guys, you know, some people I know are just just hoping and begging for the three days of darkness, you know, and it's like, honey, how do you think you're going to fare during the three days of darkness when you actually see yourself as God sees you? Mm Mm-hmm. St. John Vianney asked him one time, he said, Lord, show me my misery in your sight. And John Vianney said afterwards, he said, don't ever ask the Lord to do that. He said, had the Lord himself not sustained me in that moment, I would have been absolutely annihilated, Mm. crushed, totally crushed, absolutely. No, we don't want to see our misery in God's sight. We acknowledge that we're sinners, humble ourselves before the Lord and acknowledge, you know what, Lord, you have given us so many gifts. Help us to be grateful for the things you've given, and to pray for ourselves and for all of us sinners that we turn back to the Lord God. We are living in a culture that says our finality is in this world, and how many of us have bought into the health and wealth gospel? You know, if I just do the Lord's will, nothing bad's going to happen. And if anything bad happens, oh, it's the devil! It's the devil! No, no, God give has him too to, much credit. Yeah, we do give him too much credit. That's what my brother Mike McDonough used to say, and we do. God has to test the work. Are you serving me because of the gifts I'm giving you? Are you serving me because it feels good, because you're rich, or because you have enough food to eat and clothes to wear and a nice house to live in even if you're not rich, you're comfortable? Is that why you're serving me? Or are you serving me because you love me and you're willing to give up everything of this world in order to have me in heaven? You know, I read a beautiful, beautiful story this Mm -hmm. this past couple of weeks. There was a saint who died a martyr in the Boxer Revolution in China? Oh yeah, his name is Saint, Saint Mark G. Tianxi. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's how you say it, and I apologize. My Chinese, I never studied it, so it's T i a n x i a n is his last name. Saint Mark had been, he was a doctor, a physician, very well respected man. He was married, had a family, in his mid thirties, he got a terrible stomach ailment that had caused him excruciating pain. Well, the pain medicine they had in China was opium. So he started treating himself with opium, only he became addicted. I mean, hopelessly addicted to opium. And he was a Catholic, and he went to Mass. So he was going to confession. He kept confessing the sin that I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to opium, and I've been in, taking opium. And, and finally, after about two years, the priest said, you're not sorry for your sin. In the late 1800s, they didn't understand the nature of addiction. Mm. And he said, you're not sorry for your sin. If you were, you'd give it up. And Mark, and so he told Mark, he said, you're not to come back to confession until you give up the opium and you're not to go to Holy Communion until you give up the opium. Well, Mark kept trying and he kept begging the Lord for the grace to give this up. And he wasn't, and so finally he said, okay, Lord, I don't see any way out. The priest tells me I'm living in mortal sin. I don't want to live in mortal sin. But, and I don't want to be separated from you for all eternity. Would you grant me the grace of martyrdom? He prayed for 30 years to receive the grace of martyrdom. When he was 66 years old, he was rounded up with nine other of his family members by the Boxer Revolution to be executed or abdicate your faith, apostatize. And he was offered that option. (laughs) Just give up your faith. There's no big deal. We just want the West out of China and the West is Christianity, so out. And he said, no, I won't give up Jesus Christ. And I want you to execute my family members before me so that none of my family members has to die alone. Here this man was faithful to Christ. He was a temple of the Lord, even though he had this terrible addiction that he couldn't overcome. He's a canonized saint of the church today because he died a martyr for Christ. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's not your material things I want. I want your heart. And he had he had St. Mark's heart, his whole heart. And St. Mark didn't rebel against the church. He didn't get angry. He didn't write to the newspapers. He didn't denounce the priest. He said, Lord, I am helpless. I am stuck in this horrible cycle of addiction and I don't know what to do other than to cry out to you day after day after day for over 30 years he did this.
2: Amazing.
1: Never giving up. This is what sanctity Mm. is. Trusting in the Lord in the midst of absolute darkness. And in China, to be an opium addict was considered, I mean, you are the scum of the earth, the lowest of the low, the most worthless of the worthless. Mm. And he never gave up on Christ, and he never blamed the church for his sin. Well, wow. perseverance. We come—that's
2: a great story, Mary. We come back. Uh, we talked about the Bible and the liturgy. What does the Bible have to say about worship? Oh, I don't know. Oh, maybe it has something to say. And you know what? They'll the way you worship is the way you believe. That's an old <laughs> axiom of the church. You're listening to the Bible with the barbers. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. Right back.
3: Welcome to our January 11, 2020 Spiritual Warfare Conference. Every year without fail, this is our most popular well-attended event. This year's Spiritual Warfare Conference will host Adam Bly, a Catholic demonologist and an auxiliary member of the International Association of Exorcists along with Dr. Luis Sandoval, a psychiatrist who's part of the Healing, Deliverance and Exorcism team for the Diocese of Orange. These two gentlemen bring tons of experience and expertise in the area of Spiritual Warfare. This is going to be a high-information Catholic seminar. I'll be there as well, sharing some riveting stories on the diabolical and liberation found through Jesus Christ from my best-selling book, The Devil in the City of Angels. Mark your calendars. Come and join us and meet other radio hosts from Jesus 911. Contrary to popular beliefs, spiritual warfare is not demon-centered. It's Christ-centered. Come join us and learn how to armor up and fight the good fight of faith. Catholics wake up. Don't hit the snooze button. Join us at St. Christopher Catholic Church, 629 South Glendora Avenue, Escovina, California, on January 11, 2020. See you then. Strength and honor in Jesus' name.
0: Sirach 1124 says, Do not say, I am self-sufficient. What harm can come to me now? According to St. Catherine of Siena, presumption is like vermin burrowing at the root of the tree of our soul. If we do not uproot it with great care and humility, it will eventually destroy the soul. May God keep us from all presumption of mind and heart and realize that we depend on Him for everything. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888 Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome
1: back. Bible with the Barbers on this Tuesday, uh, the 26th day of November and, and two days before Thanksgiving. Remember to give thanks to the Lord. What you know? What does the Bible, Terry asked me, have to say about liturgy? Well, yeah. I, I don't know. Gee, um, in the Old Testament, you know, people don't very much like to read the Book of Leviticus and the Book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, but and you know, even even the Book of Exodus and and Genesis. Sometimes people say, well, you know, there's too many genealogies. There's too much. You know, it's interesting. Liturgy begins in the beginning mm-hmm. when you when you um, read the beginning, and then you read through the scriptures, you find out that the temple that that the description of um, the world as it was created in Genesis is a description of the temple. And Adam is described as a priest. And that, that continues. And then Leviticus and the Lord revealed to Moses exactly how they're supposed to worship. To the point of he actually designed, the Lord told Moses, what were the vestments the priests were supposed to wear when they were to offer sacrifice? You know, how were they to pray? They were to burn incense. They were to have candles. They were, and people, well, where does the Catholic Church get all this stuff? You know, well, read the Old Testament. And that was all types. It was all types of what was coming. But the major, major type in the Old Testament, when, when Israel were slaves in Egypt, the night of the Passover, They were to slaughter a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and mark their doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And then they were to roast the lamb and they were to eat the flesh of the lamb with their loins girt as if in flight. So the Lord gave them specific directions on how to prepare the lamb. Well, does the, is the lamb an end in itself? And what would, why were they putting blood on the door, uh, their doorposts and the lintels of their homes? Because the angel of death, the angel of the Lord was going to pass through Egypt and kill every firstborn in the land of man and beast. He would see the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and lintels and he would pass over their house and the blood of the lamb would save them from death. The blood of the lamb... Gee, where does where do we hear this again? Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, John the Baptist in the beginning of the book of the Gospel of John. Behold the Lamb of God. John is the precursor and how does he point Jesus out? There is the Lamb of God. He is the true lamb. So what does he do at the last supper? He institutes the Eucharist with a specific ritual, and he uses the ritual meal of the Passover, which was a ritual meal. It was to be repeated every year. It was a living memorial sacrifice where, in some sense, the Israelites realized this isn't just a past event that we're remembering, but somehow that moment of God freeing us from slavery is still present, and he's still freeing us. Now, unfortunately, sometimes we think, oh, he's just freeing us from the slavery of of." of. Material slavery or um, temporal slavery. But he was trying to free us from the slavery of sin, of idolatry. In Egypt, the Israelites had started to worship the idols of Egypt. And when they got out into the desert, they made this mistake, the golden calf, remember? And so God gives them specific directions in the Old Testament. And Jesus fulfills all of that. All of that Old Testament was a type of what was coming it all speaks to us of Christ and what He was about to do. So the liturgy, the the, the, the scriptures are written to be read at the liturgy. Amen. And there, and they also have much liturgy within them. Mm-hmm. So there's a litur- liturgical content and a liturgical context of the scriptures, and the liturgy that Jesus Christ gives us comes down to us in the sacraments and the liturgy of the church, and that's the living tradition of the church whereby. And especially in the Paschal mystery, which is the mystery of Christ's entire passion, including his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and glorification in heaven. And all of that is one mystery in Christ. It's not, It's not for us, yes, it happens sequentially in time, and then he goes to heaven, but, but all of it is one. And at the Mass, we are present at that one eternal sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice Not just the sacrifice of Calvary, we're present at the Last Supper, we're present at Calvary, we're present at his burial, we're present at his resurrection, we're present at his ascension. And oh, by the way, go read the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5 in particular, and chapters 19 to the end. We're present at the wedding feast of the Lamb, where the Lamb of God is in heaven and he still bears his scars, chapter 5, book of Revelation, at the right hand of the Father, where he continually makes intercession for us. The victim who immolated himself is no longer dying, but continually offers himself as an act of immolated love, eternally offers himself as an act of immolated love. If this
2: gets you excited, you want to go to the Adoramus
1: Conference in March. Amen.
2: Father Joe Fessy, who taught my wife many of her classes in theology, he'll be there with Dr. Lillis and many others. If you go to Virgin Most Powerful Radio's calendar section yes you can download the flyer it has all the schedule it'll be on the easter Tritium. yes which is a wonderful which is,
1: time. yeah absolutely and the, the thing is that paschal mystery yeah. is what we celebrate at every mass and the church made this abundantly clear in the vatican ii documents mm-hmm. everyone anyone wants to say that the vatican ii did away with the mass as a sacrifice or mm. changed the mass in its essence no it didn't go read the document read what it said find out what the document said
2: Matter of fact, that's what Cardinal Seurat says in his book, The Day is Now Far Spent, Mary. You're you're right in line with the cardinal. And he's the prefect for the doctrine, for the uh, liturgy. He's the highest official in the church on liturgy. And he said the same exactly. Read the documents. As a matter of fact, in his book on page 141, he says, The Second Vatican Council explicitly demanded that Latin language would be preserved. Yep, and it did. If you've read the document, you know that. Have we been faithful to it? The bishop says, no, the use of Latin in some parts of the mass says, yes, it can help us rediscover a profound essence of the liturgy being fundamentally a mystical and contemplative reality. Like Mary, you were saying the liturgy is beyond the reach of our human activity. Wow. Wow. You see one, this is what's unbelievable. If you think about right now, 2019, right around the corner to 2020. Only one out of five Catholics even show up for Mass. Less than one out of five. Do we
1: understand what's going That's on? That's obvious
2: we don't. Wake up! And wake you know, up! You know what the Cardinal said in his book on page 140? He says, I think it's no exaggeration to say that the Church is going through the most serious crisis of the sacrament and the sacrifice of the Eucharist in the entire history of the Church. Do You think it was important for us to talk about the Bible and liturgy? Absolutely. And And... If you get a chance to pick up the book from Ignatius, the day is now far spent. It's taken me two weeks, and I'm halfway through it. <laughs> but I'm reading it every day and enjoying this because it's giving me the anecdotes of what we're dealing with right now in the church. Because let's face it, uh, the
1: real Vatican II has not been implemented when no. it comes to the liturgy. No, not it, it has in a few places. Yeah, but it hasn't universally. And and the reality is, yes, the scripture has a lot to say about liturgy. Mm-hmm. Because the whole purpose of the scripture was to bring us back into union with God. Right. And to, to bring us into that worship that we were supposed to have. This worship which con- which contain- which, consists of a relationship with the Lord. And, and so the, Jesus Christ restores that worship because he himself as God offers to his father the perfect act of worship when he offers himself on the cross. The perfect act of adoration, thanksgiving petition, and reparation for sin. And we unite ourselves to that offering. unite At Mass, we unite ourselves to Christ. We need to wake up and start thinking about the Mass when we're at Mass. Read the book of Revelation, chapters 4, 5, 19, and 20. But read also the Last Supper accounts so that you know what to think about at Mass. You know, Mary,
2: Cardinal, Sarah uh, would be very proud of you right now. <laughs> I'm very proud of her too. Well, because you. you're saying exactly what this book is talking about. Cardinal's encouraging us lay people and young priests to abandon courageously the ideologies of those fabricated horizontal liturgies. Yeah. What he means by horizontal is man-centered yeah. rather than the vertical God-centered. And return to the directives of the Second Vatican Council.
1: Return to the directives of the Second That's Vatican the Cardinal Council. That's what saying.
2: Oof. He says, may your liturgical cele- uh, celebration lead people to meet God face-to-face and to adore him, and may this encounter transform and divinize them. Honey, this gets me excited because I don't think we're getting that right now. He said the sacred liturgy is above all the worship of divine majesty. It, it's so elevating the way they're talking about the liturgy. And he's, he's quoting from the council. He also quotes our past Benedict the Sixteenth saying on Corpus Christi feast day back on June 7th. We were around 2012. He said Christ did not abolish the sacred, but brought it to the fulfillment and inaugurating a new form of worship, which is indeed fully spiritual, but which, however, as long as we are journeying in time, still makes us use the signs and rites.
1: Right. It has specific signs and rites. And did we invent this? No. Jesus Christ gave this to his church as a sacred deposit. The church has no authority to change what Jesus Christ gave her. And the adoration, the, the sacraments, all of the sacraments are geared to the worship of God. And all of the sacraments... Point toward the Eucharist and flow from the Eucharist because the Eucharist is Christ himself, and it's Christ's own act of worship. And we need to get back to what it was. And what what did Cardinal Seurat say there? To divinize us. Well, how can it divinize us? Because it brings us into union with the divine. When we receive Jesus in Holy Communion, we receive God, body, blood, soul, and divinity. His entire humanity, his entire divinity, we receive God into ourselves. And the point of it is to worship God properly. Man doesn't figure out how to worship God Um, properly on his own. God showed him how he showed us. We don't need to figure it out. And yes, what we do, what do we have? We have man centered liturgies. We have liturgies where priests think they're supposed to entertain the people. They think they're there to joke. You know, we had a priest friend one time. Uh, We still have lots of priest friends, but there was one who told us, he told us something one time. He said, you know, I asked another priest, is it okay to tell jokes? during the sermon at Mass. No, it was. It was Father George Rutler. Father George Rutler. And he said his his priest friend said to him, Yes, yes, you may tell jokes in the in the sermon at Mass. Yeah, listen to this. As long as you limit yourself to telling those jokes that John the evangelist, the beloved disciple, told to the blessed mother at the foot of the cross. The Mass is always a sacrifice. We are not re-crucifying Christ but Calvary is present in our midst. This is serious. Is it joyful? Yes. Christ was joyful on the cross. And this is the difficulty we're having. We've lost the joy of suffering with the Lord. Mm. We no longer know what it means to be Christian and to live in union with the Lord in His suffering. We're trying to escape from it. We want the health and wealth gospel where if I follow the Lord, He's going to remove all the obstacles and all the troubles in my life and all the trials. No. He transforms us from within so that we see all the trials and troubles and tribulations as a means of glory what did saint paul said i count the sufferings of the moment as nothing nothing in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in me in christ jesus our lord saint paul had his eyes firmly fixed on the cross i have resolved from now on to speak to you of nothing of but jesus christ and of him crucified
2: can I say something, Harry? I'm, I'm listening. I'm saying. <laughs> Next time you go to Mass, think about this.
1: Absolutely. I th- I'm thinking about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Tomorrow morning.
2: Wow. And act like, think about this. Next time you go to Mass, think about it as like the last Mass of your life. Maybe the last time you go. Think about that every time you go to the Holy Sacrifice. mass. Hey, we're going to come back. I'm excited talking about the Bible and liturgy. How about you? And again, when we come back, we'll talk much more about the Bible and God's love letter to you. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back in supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round. May God bless you and your family.
0: This is Matthew Arnold. This for is Terry Barber.
2: Mo- I want to thank you for powerful supporting. Radio.
0: This March, VMPR in association with the Catholic Resource Center will be hosting a special conference for the Adoramus Society, Adoramus at the Triduum, a conference on the spirituality of the Triduum liturgies, featuring speakers Father Joseph Fessio, Dr. Anthony Lillis, and Christopher Karstens, addressing such topics as developing a liturgical spirituality. The Spirituality of Holy Thursday, The Spirituality of Good Friday, and The Spirituality of the Paschal Vigil and Easter Season. It all takes place March 14, 2020, at the historic Sacred Heart Chapel at 381 West Center Street, Covina, California, 91723. You can register online at vmpr.org, Or call now at 877-526-2151 to reserve your seat today for Adoramus at the Triduum.
3: This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
1: You're on, my love. Hello, and welcome back. Jesse, thank you for bringing us back here. And I think we have a caller we on do. The We do. We have James here. on the line. James, are you there? Yes, I am. James, welcome to Bible with convert. the Barbers. A well, we're so glad you well, called in. What's on I your mind? enjoy what you're saying. You know, I have so many questions. One of them was, uh, Mary,
4: I like what you said about suffering. You know, you gave me a whole new perspective. So what we're saying, what you're saying is that instead of running, running away from suffering, we should embrace it because it's building character in us, right? It, it's Amen. drawing us closer to Christ that we're sharing in his sufferings. Do I have that right?
1: That is absolutely correct, it, James. James. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And that's what St. Paul talks about that, you know, in my sufferings, I fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church, that in our sufferings, we, all of our sufferings become redemptive when we unite them to Christ. And yes, they build character in us. That's, you know, how is gold refined? Gold is refined in a fire. If you don't refine the gold in the fire, you're not going to have pure gold. You have to burn out the dross. And it's like, but I don't want to suffer. But it's like, but well, you know what? If we don't suffer, then we're filled with ourselves and our own selfishness. And how are we going to be generous? How are we going to become looking like Christ if we can't join him on the cross, if we have no way to, you know? So, yes, that is that is absolutely correct, James. You know, the reason why I ask that is because, you know, I know people
4: suffer, but sometimes I listen to, to uh uh the radio show, and they'll call in for prayers. And, and this is the way it normally goes. They'll call in and they'll say things like, you know, I'm suffering, I'm in pain, or my marriage is not going good, or I'll have an operation, sure. or whatever. Okay, I'm not minimizing that. Okay, I understand it. But what I don't hear, and maybe I got this wrong, is that in Colossians it says that, you know, we're to, that we bear fruit. So in other words, yes. should my request to God instead of saying, take away the pain, of course I want him to take away the pain, but to give me the graces to endure the pain so I could learn something from this, not just take it away, because it's too much. It sounds to me like this. Become a Christian so that you could be blessed. Become a Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Health and wealth, baby. Become a Christian. And and, and when I read the Bible, I don't see that. I see, you know, and I'm going to say this with all due respect. To becoming a Christian can be hazardous to your health. (laughs) Well said, James.
1: And James, that's, you know, I remember once, when I was 19, I had an appendicitis that was misdiagnosed and I spent not 29 days in a hospital. And so I had several roommates, you know, not at the same time, but you know, over the course of those days. And one of them was the, the mother of a Protestant minister and she's in a Catholic hospital. And she's like, why do you Catholics have the crucifix on the wall? Jesus isn't still on the cross. And I don't remember what I said to her. I was 19 years old. I don't remember how I would explain it, how I explained it to her at the time, or even if I could. But in, in retrospect, now I would say, well, you know, Jesus, yes, Jesus is no longer suffering. He's not dying anymore. But you know what? Jesus did, does identify himself with the members of his body, the church. And when we suffer, it's united to his suffering. Remember what he said to Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, sir? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Wait a minute. I'm persecuting the Christians. (laughs) I'm not persecuting Jesus. How does this work? Well, yes, our sufferings can bring us to a greater detachment from ourselves and can free us from sin. And we need to realize that Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. Now, God doesn't beat us up. And this is what some people think. Oh, I'm suffering. That's the other, that's the other extreme. I'm suffering because God's beating me up. No, honey, it doesn't work that way either. God allows us to suffer. First of all, because of sin, you know what? It's a consequence of sin, Amen. but in, in Jesus Christ, all of the meaning of suffering has been redeemed. And so now, yes, when we suffer, we can offer all of our trials in union with Jesus and that becomes meritorious because God attaches merit to it. And it also makes us more like Christ. And it's, you're, you're right, it's unfortunately, sometimes as Christians we think, oh, well, I'm I'm doing what God asked me to do, why am I suffering? And we do what we can to alleviate the sufferings of others. But you know, sometimes you just can't take it away. And then it's it's a matter of trying to recognize yourself and help others recognize that you know what we can unite our sufferings to Christ and when we do that it it's very it brings us very close to him he really suffered on the cross that wasn't a show he wasn't pretending that was real suffering and he didn't do it so we don't have to
2: go ahead james do i have time for, do I have time for- absolutely brother
4: i be because I don't want to take your time. No, no, that's fine. It's interesting. interesting. Very important. Okay. Yeah. At the end of the show, and, and I'm learning. I'm a youth Catholic here, you because know, so I'm learning. So here's a question I want to ask. Yes. At the end of the show, Jesse, and you always say, "What state do you not want to live in?" It's <laughs> mortal sin. So here's my question. I have a problem with this, and I don't mean to sound ignorant, but what is mortal sin? In, and, and I'll give you an example. Okay, let's say I go to confession. All right, I go to mm-hmm. confession, and let's say. Come out of confession, something happens, I get angry, or somebody cuts me off, or or you have an impure thought. Do I now supposed to say, oh, no, I just had mortal sin. I can't even get confessed. just came out of confession. I got to go back into confession. I can't take the, the Eucharist. So I'm confused. What is mortal sin? Sin I, I understand what it's gonna be like murder, I understand what it's gonna be like you committing adultery, but, but
1: what is mortal sin like in th- those day to day encounters with your thoughts? You know what I'm saying? Is that mortal sin? No, well here's the deal, James. First of all, sin is in the will. Okay? So the the three conditions for That's a sin right. to be mortal is first of all, it has to be serious moral evil. You have to do it with full knowledge full and consent. full consent of the will. Okay, you, first of all, you, so you have to know. It's, it has to be serious moral evil. You have to know that it's serious moral evil, and then you have to give full consent of your, the will. Now, actually, any deliberate, contemptuous breaking of any of the Ten Commandments is serious moral evil. Okay? So, but, now when you get, when you get to things like emotions and, and um, anger and, and impure thoughts, Okay, am I deliberately harboring impure thoughts? Am I looking at pornography? Am I tr- am I filling my mind with the kind of things that are going to create impure thoughts or are they just coming on their own? Okay? Cuz it's not it's not whether or not the thought was there, it's what I did with it. it. Like let's take the emotion of anger. Somebody cut you off in traffic. Okay. They cut me off in traffic. The emotion of anger is going to come up. Why? Because especially in traffic, if somebody cut you off in traffic, that's that can be a threat to your life. And your whole body says, defend yourself. Well, how do you defend yourself? You either fight or you run. That's how you defend yourself. So the body produces adrenaline and the emotion of anger is there. A, a very good priest taught me, when you feel the emotion of anger, say, I do not consent to the sin of anger. Okay? Okay. Yeah, anger can be a mortal sin if I recognize that I'm angry and you know what, I want to be angry at that person. That person did something horrible to me and I deserve to be angry at that person and I you know say some horrible thing about them or or say I hate them. That would be a, that would be a mortal sin. But if it's just the emotion of anger that arises in a moment, then what you do is you have to learn how to guide and direct the emotion so as not to for it to become a sin. It only becomes a sin when you choose it with your will. The same with impure thoughts. I was
2: just going to go there.
1: Yep. In and of themselves, no, they're not mortal sins. If you're not choosing them with your will, right. Re, You know, acknowledge that they're there, acknowledge the goodness of the human body and the goodness of human sexuality, and then say, Lord, I don't consent to misuse this faculty of my body. I want to use it only for your glory, and I direct and guide it towards you, and then replace it with... You know thoughts of God and his salvation,
2: yeah, that's where I was gonna go, James with that, because I get that all the time from guys calling in about impurity i mean we're we're men, okay, we call it the custody of the eyes, so when we do see things out on the street that are immoral a woman is not dressed properly yep i i my my advice is to say a prayer for that little girl for that young woman I should say and uh and always think of 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 of, of you know chastity and think of rejecting it and saying, I'm going to pray for that girl that she'll come to have a better understanding of her dignity because she obviously doesn't have that now. Right. Does that help, James? Yeah, well,
4: yeah, yeah. and I, you really helped me a lot because I was really, you know, say, oh, my God, i have a mortal sin. Because what I do, when I get thoughts like that, I just stop. Uh, I rather called scripture in my head. And, they, you know, it's funny. They just come Good. into my head. I tell myself, well, why is that coming to my head? I'm not even thinking that. Good. And, and then I fight back, and, and I start calling scripture or try to say the rosary. Good. And I get frustrated. I go, my goodness. I go, why, why, why did? where did that come from? You know? But then sure. I think, well, wait a minute. The prince of the power of the Air probably has something to do with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and, and it has something but, to do with but, the fact that we're human and we have a body original sin. And, and we, it's not, it's not necessarily original sin. We have a body. We're human. We're, we're not angels. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, there, there are moments of the flesh. We're not in total control of our bodies and we can't be without the gift, a special gift of God's grace. You know, Adam and Eve had the gift of integration. That was a preternatural gift. That was a gift above and beyond their nature it was given by God. They lost that with original sin. The pre- the preternatural gift of integration made it so that all of the faculties of their body were perfectly and easily subject to their intellect and their will. Their intellect clearly saw God as the good. Their will clearly chose God as the good and until they sinned. <laughs> when they lost integration. And so now we don't have the integration. And so those things come into our heads just because we're human and we have a body. And in those moments, first of all, we need to acknowledge, you know what, Lord? The body's good. And remember what St. Paul said? The body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. Even our bodies serve the Lord and our bodies are good. And every faculty of our body is good. So we just need to guide and direct it toward the Lord. And don't, try not to get tied up in knots about it is what the big thing. I mean, the, the heart, it's like, You can gentle an animal or you can cow an animal. And you have to think of, you know, your body is is like it's the animal part of us, as it were. It's the part that identifies closest with the animals. So we have to gentle it into accepting the guidance of our intellect and will. And when it rebels, we need to be gentle with it and say, look, I understand you want your own favorite food right now, but this is not the time and the place. And I'm not going to misuse this faculty. I'm not going to use it in a way that offends God. But remember, when we offend God, we're actually offending the dignity of our own person. We were made in God's image. We're supposed to behave like God as his very dear children. So if we sin, we are degrading ourselves as human beings.
2: James, I appreciate your call, brother. And you come by any time. I know you're a local man. and. Where I hear the music, so we're going to have to run run for a quick break. But thanks for your questions. I think a lot of people have those same questions you asked, so thank you.
1: I think they do, and thank you for calling. That was awesome.
2: We'll be right back with more of the Bible with the Barber.
3: This is Jesse Romero. And I'm Terry Barber. From the Terry and Jesse Show. And we invite you to listen to the Holy Hour of Power, High Energy Catholic Radio. We're two Catholics with a PhD in common sense. we we'll are run Monday through Friday on Virgin the Most Powerful Radio. What we're going to give you is masculine Catholic teachings on the faith. You know, we say we're too inspired
2: to be tired. We're too protected to be dejected. And we're too renewed to be subdued. Why? Because we believe in Jesus Christ and His bride, the church, And we will take each issue of the day and show you how the Catholic Church has the answer for our culture. What we really do is bring men back into the Catholic Church, which it's about time to do. We want men to be leaders in their Catholic faith so that they can bring their family to
3: heaven. Our program is not right versus left, it's right versus wrong. And our program is where Catholicism and culture intersect. It's high energy Catholic radio.
2: We're going to inspire you to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ and his bride to the church.
3: The Terry and Jesse Show on the Virgin Most Powerful app.
0: Jesus said in Matthew 26... Stay awake and pray that you may not enter into temptation. According to St. Ephraim, Jesus, who feared nothing, experienced fear and asked to be freed from death, although he knew it was impossible. How much more must we persevere in prayer before temptation assails us, so that we may be freed when the test has come? May God grant that we may withstand temptation and carry out his will in all things. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888 526 Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Well, welcome back. And Terry's stepping out again here for this last section just to, to do some errands. And um, we were going to look at the book of Romans here, chapter 2 today. And what we wanted to talk about is that only God is a righteous judge. St. Paul in the second chapter, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you because we just have one section here left of the, of the show, but St. Paul asks a bunch of rhetorical questions and he's talking about judgment, you know. So do you think if you judge other people that um, you're going to escape judgment yourself? We're all sinners. We're all in this together. And here's the reality. The reason God himself is a righteous judge is God is the only one who's sinless. God is the only one who's perfect. The rest of us are all sinners. And so, okay, we think that, you know, we can look at someone else and say, oh, that person's so horrible. Oh, really? Have we looked at ourselves thoroughly to really understand the horror of sin? And some people say, well, I've never committed a moral sin and, and thanks be to God. That's a grace by the way. But the reality is, is any sin is infinitely offensive against God and any sin degrades us as human beings. So, why is God patient with us? If somebody asked me recently, why do all these evil people live to be so old? You know, they're old. These are old people you know, like that. Some of the representatives in Congress, are they're, they're voting for infanticide and all kinds of evils and attacks on the family and on the dignity of the human person. And they're old people. I mean, they're in their 60s, 70s, 80s. Some of them are approaching 90 years old and they fight. Tooth and nail for the right to kill an innocent human being? And you're like, why does God add days and years to their life? Oh, because his forbearance and patience are directed for our repentance. And Paul asks it in the form of a question. Do you realize this? The only reason God is patient with you, the only reason he adds another day to your life is so that you can repent. He's not adding days and years to your life so that you can add sin upon sin upon sin. God adds days and years to the life of the sinner that he might repent. So we need to not be hard and impenitent, but we need to turn to the Lord so that he doesn't have to exercise his wrath against us. St. John Vienna used to say to his congregations in tears, God desires to bless you. And by your sins, you're forcing him to curse you. God is God, and we are not. And sin is a real offense against God who is real. And it really offends him because it destroys us as human beings. We were made in God's image to be images of God. God is not sin. And he didn't make sin. As a matter of fact, sin is a rejection of being. It's a rejection of goodness. Everything that God made is good. And when we sin, we're rejecting goodness. And a lot of people nowadays, you know, with sexual immorality, they're saying, oh, but I'm just loving this person. No, you're not. If you have commit fornication with someone, that is not love. I don't care what it feels like. It's not love. Maybe you don't understand that God made marriage. So you may not be fully responsible for what you're doing. But if you've taken a Christian and dragged them away from their faith and gotten them to commit fornication with you, you are dragging them, you're putting them on the road to hell. That's not love. That's hatred. The souls in hell hate. They have no capacity for love because they've rejected love when they chose sin over God. And so only God, only God is righteous because only God is without sin. And Paul goes on to talk about the fact that, you know, okay, so we have the law. You have the Jews and you have the Greeks. The Jews were given the law. They have the, oh, what is that word? They have, you know, when you're given something that other people aren't given, you're given you're, the, the privilege or they have the um, the privilege place, but the advantage. They have the advantage. They were given the law. And if they follow the law, then, then they will be saved. Now, if they break the law, then the law is their judge. Well, what about the Greeks who don't know the law? Well, what if a Greek is a good person like Socrates who acknowledged that there is one God, and in order to know Him, I have to live a virtuous, disciplined, mortified life, and I can't give in to indulge the the um, my appetites of my flesh. I'm not supposed to overeat. I'm not supposed to drink too much. I'm not supposed to indulge in sexual immorality. This is a pagan, by the way. This is Socrates. You know, hundreds of years before Christ. And so that man, by his righteous acts, is already a law unto himself. Saint Paul says. And he, 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 yes, he'll be judged. He'll be judged by his righteous actions. But nonetheless, the Greeks who refuse because, and remember in the beginning of Romans, he said, we can know God. And if we refuse to know who God is in terms of that, there is a God and that we ought to behave like him. If we want to know him and even Socrates came to know this. So yes, there were pagans who knew this and tried to live virtuous, moral, upright lives. So they become a law unto themselves. So one way or the other, we're all going to be judged by God. Whether we knew the law or didn't know the law, in a sense, the law is already written on our hearts. So like that, Socrates wasn't trained in the law the way the Jews are trained in the law. And yet Socrates knew that God is one, that he must be very good and very beautiful and all-powerful, and that in order to know him, we have to live a, a life of discipline and virtue and mortification, that we don't indulge the flesh, and that by, by being kind to our neighbor, by being considerate of other people, and, and not just a, a kindness that's like, oh, you know, what a, have a nice day, whatever. No, it's a kindness of, of real service to do the good for the neighbor to help the neighbor, and Socrates did. He went out and he he tried to get young people to realize that they needed to not live the immoral lives. You see, the Greeks created all these gods who lived these immoral lives. I mean, the gods, you know, they were going around committing adultery with every other, everybody, you know, in, with other gods and with men and women. You know, that was the the Greek gods. They just commit, and they would, you know, they, they had jealousy and anger and vengeance, and, and Socrates said, no, those aren't gods at all. As a matter of fact, you Greeks created those gods and you made them far more evil than yourself in order to justify your own immorality. And he tried to teach the young people of Greece the truth that there is a God who made everything and who knows everything, but is all good and all beautiful and all true. And in order to know him, we can't be living like the gods of the Greeks because the gods of the Greeks aren't gods at all. They're a figment of somebody's imagination who wanted to justify their immoral living. That was Socrates. That wasn't Moses. And so then they become a law unto themselves. They show what the law requires by their life, Paul says. It's written on their hearts. And their conscience will bear witness to, their, to them. So whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you know the law or you don't know the law, God has already touched your heart. God made you and he touched your heart. So live according to the truths that God has revealed to you and don't judge other men. We can judge their actions. Now when, when, when the Bible tells us not to judge, it says it's about don't condemn. Okay. Don't think that you know the motivation of another person or that you know their subjective guilt. It is true that some people have never been trained about what marriage is and that you should get married before you live with somebody. And so they're, they're entering into marriage. They think that once they have conjugal relations with someone, they are married to that person and that, that that's it. They're married to that person for life. Well, hopefully they will come to know the Christian gospel and the gospel that teaches them the truth about marriage so that they can know the fullness of what God would like them to have within marriage. So we don't know their subjective guilt. And like that, I told the story at the beginning of this hour about St. Mark G., Haiyan Shi, he's a Chinese martyr who died during the Boxer Revolution, his middle name J.I., his last name T.I.A.N.X.I.A.N., he's a martyr of the Catholic faith, he was an opium addict, and he begged God to help him overcome his addiction. But he had started taking the opium, not just for the fun of it, but because he had pain that was so incredible, it was debilitating. And he was a doctor, he was trying to serve, he served the poor for free. Nine of his family members were martyred along with him, and he stood by the side of every one of them and encouraged them in their martyrdom. We're going home to heaven. We're going home to heaven. And yet he was an opium addict. So we can't judge the heart of the man. We can judge the action. That's what the priest did. The priest said, look, your actions, as far as I know, are seriously moral evil, and the very fact that you keep going back to this addiction says that you're not really Sorry. He didn't understand in the 1890s, they didn't understand the nature of addiction. They didn't realize that, yes, a person can be really sorry for something and keep going back and doing it over and over again. So don't give up on yourself or God's mercy. God is merciful and he loves us. And you know, sometimes he leaves us with our weakness because it's the only way for us to be humble. St. Mark, before he became an opium addict, was looked up to by everybody in his community. He was a doctor. He was a leader in his community. He was a pillar of the community. Maybe this was God's, I don't know. But, but it does help us to be humble sometimes when, when God allows us to have these afflictions of particular faults that are particularly humiliating to us. And, and so we know that God is the one who judges, but we can judge the action and we can tell the person that action is not a good action. It degrades you as a human person. But then pray for them. Don't condemn them to hell. You don't have a right to say to anyone, you're going to hell. You don't, you can't say that. Only God can say that. And by the way, the measure with which you measure will be measured back to you. So be very careful about telling people they're going to hell because you're asking God to say that to you. We don't want to do that. So the Jews received the law. They had the circumcision. They had the dietary laws. They had everything that God wanted. They had the Ten Commandments. Now, by the way, the Ten Commandments were not part of that provisional law of the Old Testament where St. Paul says, you know, we're not subject to this law anymore. He's talking about the law of circumcision and the dietary laws. Okay, he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments still apply. Old Testament, New Testament hasn't changed. The Ten Commandments are still the Ten Commandments. It's like the owner's manual. God made us. He knew it would make us happy. The Ten Commandments, that's the owner's manual. Follow these with my grace But it's about a relationship. It's about building a relationship with someone who loves us. God judges us, yes, but he judges us in love and mercy. He knows our hearts, so he knows, like that St. Mark G., he answered his prayer, yes, I'm going to give you the crown of martyrdom. He gave him the crown of martyrdom, even though he was an opium addict. So keep praying and keep trusting in the Lord and have confidence in him. I know we live in confusing times, but you know what? God's not confused. He's not confused about the fact that he loves you, that you're beautiful and good and you're made in his image and he desires you and he delights in you and he likes you and he loves you and he wants a personal relationship with you. So trust in the Lord. Put your trust in him. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. If you can make a donation, call 877-526-2151. And we hope you join us again next week on Bible with the Barbers. Tonight's Tuesday. I have Bible study tonight. Oh, yeah. Tuesday night at the chapel, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. If you want to hear more of the Book of Romans and you're free to come, come and join us for the Bible study. Thank you again. Hopefully you'll be with us again next week and bring a friend. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests Oh, my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole church, Grant it love and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great high priest, may the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio
4: Sharing the Gospel with Clarity and Charity